All right, as we begin, we're going to begin right at Genesis 1. Uh, and for those who are perhaps um, just joining us, we're starting a series on Jesus Storybook Bible, and we would love for you as a family or as an individual to have one of those. Um, so we have some. I don't how many do we have? 30, 40 copies? Somewhere in there. Um, and we would love for you to have one. So if you don't have one, please reach out to Mindy Weekel, our children's ministry director. That'd be Mindy at PrincetonCRC.org. Uh, you can find her email address right on our website. Uh, reach out to her, and, and she's going to work a way of getting in contact with you if you'd like one, that we can uh, get you one for you and your family so you can read along uh, in that book as we also read through Scripture I think the book is, is personally great because it, it brings to mind um, the stories maybe at a little bit different level. I think it's interesting how perhaps you and I, as we talk to different people, change the words we use based on who we're talking with, right? If we're talking with an adult, we'll perhaps use more complex words. If we're talking with a child, we'll perhaps use less complex words, easier words, words that you remember kids learned earlier on. And, and so we'll change stories based on what's going on and who's there. So I was like camping this last week, or two weeks ago actually, and, and I came upon, I sat down by some of my friends and and the dads were talking about how they were having the birds and the bees talks with their kids. Their kids are a little older than mine, so I'm not quite there yet, but they were sharing how they would do that. And it made me think about, yeah, how even with the birds and the bees talk, you vary your story based on who you're talking with and how much detail you go into. I remember when Emily was pregnant with Harper, who's now about a little over seven months old, the story was, yes, you did leave in, live in mama's belly for a while, that was the end of the story. That was the end of the birds and the bees talk, right? You did live in mama's belly. But I often hear these stories about this birds and the bees talk or this, this kid walking up to a mom when mom's not expecting it and, and says, Mom, where did I come from? And maybe you wouldn't be ready for that or maybe I wouldn't be ready for that. This mom does, does okay. She, she tells this story and, and tries to share at a, age-appropriate four-year-old level, what the birds and the bees story is, where he came from. And she thought she did a pretty good job using words that were appropriate, trying to, to be conscious of the age. But her son just still stood there, looked perplexed. Just, okay, thanks, Mom. Billy said he came from Colorado. It's interesting how not only we change the words we use, but even with age, it changes the questions we ask. And the question, where did I come from, to a child means something completely different than it meant to mom and dad. And I think that's something we need to recognize when we come to the Old Testament. 
the questions that we often have in our mind are probably quite different than the questions that were in the mind of the people who it was originally written for in the ancient Near Eastern times. Our question, perhaps, in our 21st century mind, a mind that understands perhaps molecules and structures and a little bit of the makeup of the world and, and all these atoms and so on that are, that are whirring around us, we, we probably wonder this question, how do we retain the integrity of this passage while also recognizing the world that science is? Like how, do we, how do we take these two things and, and merge them together? And then we perhaps do a couple things to, to try to do that. Perhaps we, some people, construct an alternate science to try to make things work. Okay. Others would, would just say, well, this is a poetic text. Um, and it's, it's figurative. You don't take it literally. Okay. That'd be another option. Or you could say, well, this is a strictly theological text. And it's not scientific at all. That's, that's not where it goes. So like the mom who needs to realize what questions are actually at play and what the questions mean, what questions we actually bring, that's what we need to do when we come to the Old Testament. We must recognize that the author of Genesis was communicating to his audience at his time. Oftentimes, the, the author of the first five books of the Bible is attributed to Moses. That is, that is the traditional uh, view that Moses is the one writing it. So if you think about who Moses was, who was he? Well, he was an Israelite, but he was, was born and then set in a raft and really grew up with Egyptian education and an Egyptian understanding. So what would the ancient Near Eastern country and world think about this? And largely, at that point in time, ancient cosmology was concerned not about makeup of what things are and how they're made up, but instead about function. What purpose does this have in our world? What purpose does that have in our world? And, and we can see it a little bit if we look a little bit further in Scripture. When you think about how people are named and that their names sometimes change, to change with the function or the purpose that they have. Think about Eve, who's, who's created to be the mother of, of all humanity. The life giver is what her name means. You, think of, you could think about Abram, whose name is changed to Abraham, meaning father of many, a purpose of what he has. He fathers one and then two, and then uh, the one, the one that he will will attempt to give up to God as a sacrifice will turn into many nations, right? So we think about function, and our hope is that we think about function today and that we, we focus a little bit upon that. So let's begin today's reading. We're going to break it up into small sections. So we begin with Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless, and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
to people in the ancient Near Eastern world, these verses would have resonated with them. Because they believed that gods and deities were involved in every aspect of life. So it would make sense to them that in the beginning, God was involved with the creation of the world. God was actively working, they believed, in their time period. Every baby born was a miracle of God's design and bringing about. God was actively working to make sure that every plant that grew was able to. God was actively working, and in the rain that fell was something that God did. That's why you would see so many gods, a god of, of, of birth, a god of rain, a god of thunder, all of these different things. God was actively involved. The difference here is that this Israelite belief is that there's one God where the ancient Near Eastern context provided a way for many gods, many different individual gods. But they were active, and so was our God, involved in every aspect of creation. He begins with this formless, formless place without shape, and it's empty. With no shape, with emptiness, there's no real purpose, perhaps. There's no real function to what he begins with. And, and so he begins to create forms. He speaks them into existence and gives them purpose and function. Creating everything with intention. God had a blank slate. And then he goes to work been thinking a lot about gardening lately. Emily and I have, have uh, tripled the size of the garden that's in our backyard, which um, it's actually not that many feet when you begin with 36 square feet as your garden, right? Uh, so we tripled that and we made it bigger and, and we had this blank slate of places to plant things and, and you start thinking about, okay, how can we intentionally plant things and make them flourish? What does it look like? And, and so we choose to, to plant certain things by one another because it's beneficial. Like, like we put sunflowers by corn because sunflowers like the naturally nitrogen-rich soil that, that the corn kind of leaves behind, right? You think about those things. And so those are the types of things that God was thinking about as, as he was creating the world. What, in what way can I make things that they can be mutually beneficial with one another, how they can work with one another, setting it up, setting it all to flourish. So he went to work. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was an evening... And there was a morning, first day. God created light which would pierce into the darkness. But in our minds, we're probably thinking, but, but there is no sun and moon that doesn't come till another day. How is there light in darkness? What, what does this mean? Well, perhaps, 
perhaps God was setting up the foundations for the function of time as we know it. Where there is a daytime and a nighttime, a period for the day, a period for the night. And he wraps it all up in saying there was an evening and there was a morning, a first day. Days and nights. God created time, something that would cause us later on to record it down for history and centuries and millennia to understand how this world works. Time. God functions out of time, but we do not. Then God continues his work. He speaks again. Let there be an expanse in the midst of all the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven. There was an evening. There was a morning. Second day. Perhaps we wonder, okay, what does it mean? Maybe the translation that you said, that there's this firmament that's above holding back waters. What does that mean? But perhaps instead of thinking about that, we're thinking about the creation of the atmosphere. God setting forth the functions that would serve as our atmosphere that would bring about weather, that would bring about rain and snow and all of the different types of weather systems that we see. God creates the cosmic waters, we could say. He creates places for people and animals to live within. He creates weather systems that will give his people and his animals just the right amount of water to make them flourish. Not too much that would cause them to drown, but not too little that would cause drought. And God continues his work. He sets up time, and and then he gives the functions and the abilities of the weather to be in the world. And he says, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. Let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds, let fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is of their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. Then the earth brought forth vegetation plants yielding seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit which is their seed according to its kind. And God saw it was good. And there was an evening and there was a morning. The third day. It's interesting in this one that God does not make. Instead, he gathers. He gathers the waters that, that were already there when he separated them. He gathers them together to make spaces, spaces that would function for various purposes, a watery space that later on he will fill, but now a earth, a land, a dry space that functions for the plants that he creates. 
dry land, which is essential for the production of vegetation, meets up with this atmosphere that God had created that functions to give water to the land. He's not done, though. He speaks again. He said, let there be lights in the expanse of heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for season and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse in heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser night to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the expanse of the heaven to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, fourth day. God creates light to function as pointers to that day and night so we can, we can understand it tracing light bodies where he sees fit out in the atmosphere. God causes the two greater bodies, gives them function, causing them to interact with the atmosphere that he's created and the land that he's created and the water that he's created to be signs of season. That as those big lights would move around, that, that God's earth would respond providing opportunity, providing opportunity for winter, spring, summer, and fall to show off that time that he created earlier. Ultimately, to give light for growth, to be light for the humans that he'll create next and the animals that he'll create after that. So his work is not done, we know. God speaks again. God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heaven. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And there was an evening. And there was a morning. Fifth day. God speaks forth, creating birds and fish, even the great living creatures of the deep, it says. Showing that those great living creatures of the deep are under God's control. God created this orderly system that he sets in place and then he says be fruitful and fulfill your function and your purpose fill the sea fill the air multiply on the earth i think it's interesting god created them and gives them a little bit of freedom here this is a little bit different, perhaps, from the nature, ancient Near Eastern view that God was involved in every aspect. And we could, we could say that, but it seems like God said, let the earth bring forth. God is saying to, to his creation that he's like, I've set you up with the functions, everything that you need 
to be prepared to grow, to flourish. Let the earth bring forth. And they multiply, and they fill the sea, and they multiply. But God's work's not done. He speaks again. Let the earth bring forth creatures according their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts on the earth according to their kind. It was so. Animals living on the land, reproducing, filling the earth, creating plants and animals and birds and fish that are able to reproduce themselves replicate themselves and fulfill their function that God has given them. And then comes humanity. God creating them in his own image. God said, let us make man in our own image, in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. seems that God gives each day of creation a function, and God gives humans a function, but it seems different than the other ones, because God gives them authority, a function of authority over all of the other functionaries that God has created. God gives him an image, an image of himself that they get, and they also get some of the function of God as well as, as they are made to rule over parts of God's creation. God gives him the ability to do the same. God designs all of creation that it seems that makes people the, the climax of all of it. He had created a world with stars, growling animals, flying birds, bright red flowers, fresh fruit trees, and people made in his image. But he's not done. He's not done as he... But this time he doesn't speak. He rests. For us, perhaps, we see the introduction to Sabbath rest, something that was very prominent in Israelite history as well as prominent in our days right now as we, we rest on the Sabbath day. But the ancient Near Eastern readers would see something else. This would make them think about this text being about building a temple. The most important aspect of any temple is the deity. That's why they're created. They're created to give honor to a deity, but they're also created to house a deity. 
the only place that a deity would rest, they believed was in a temple. The most important aspect of creation is that God sits and rests in his own temple, the one he has created, the one in which he will reside in and live in with his people. God gives purpose and function to the whole world. He created dwellings for animals and birds and fish and humanity that has his own image, and he created a cosmic temple, a place where he would interact with his people, a place where he would interact with his creation, and he will work tirelessly, tirelessly to continue to be able to live in that temple with his people so that they may flourish. Because he wants to know, he wants his people to know of his love which endures forever, a love which crafts this space, a love which crafted each and every one of us to live in it. And even when things would get in his way, God would make a way, working, revealing, finding ways for him to live in this cosmic temple with his people. It would, it would take on different forms at point in time, tabernacles covered with cloth. But later on, the temple, a grand structure, but the best one would come later. when God himself would take on the form of a human. Fully God, fully man named Jesus who would make his dwelling among us. Returning to that picture that we see in Genesis where God rests with his people in his temple. God makes his home here. So he can live and he can rest with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you never stop working to live with us. That you paved a way by making the earth, the world as we know it, that you could live with your creation, the people made in your image, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, the great creatures of the deep. We thank you that you didn't stop when things went a little awry, when selfishness took over and sin entered the world. Instead, you began paving new ways, ultimately leading to Jesus, his restoration of our life with you by his death on the cross. We pray that we will never forget the importance of him in paving the way for our life with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.